Southpaw initially started out as the socialist solution to the Joe Rogan experience. In keeping with that tradition, it only makes sense for some of our past guests to spin off their own podcasts. This is what our guest from episode 22, David Hollingsworth, has done. He and some friends have started a podcast called A Mouthful of History, which tries to balance deep dives into history with fun. They approach history from the bottom up and present it in a way that doesn't require any prior knowledge. The clip you're about to hear is from their two-part series on the Indochina War and the Vietnamese resistance against French imperialism. According to armchair historian, the same applies to war. (laughs) And so they were able to set up these strong points and they thought they'd be able just to shell the Viet Minh into the hills. But there's another man on the Viet Minh side that will change the balance of this battle for good. And his name is General Vo Nguyen Giap, or a.k.a. The Red Napoleon. He will also be responsible for kicking the Americans out of Vietnam. And Quite a nickname, so, and it sounds like he lived up to it. Yeah, and as I'll tell you, you know, being the Red Napoleon is not out of left field. You don't give somebody a comparison to one of the greatest military minds of all time lightly. You have to earn it, and apparently this guy earned it. <laughs> he earned it in spades. So he does the unthinkable, and that changes the battle in the Viet Minh's favor. So he had all of his soldiers dismantle every single bit of artillery and trek it over 500 miles and to set it up in the hills. And they would even create tunnels to where only you can see the barrel come out of the hills. Damn. And so what that basically meant is that he surrounded all the hills and every side had artillery. And the French couldn't do anything about it. So whatever superior the French had, they lost it. Having a hard time believing that like the rest of Europe and the United States watched the French get systematically dismantled because they thought they were fighting another European power when they clearly weren't and did nothing about it except for maybe just laugh about it. Yeah, and and they thought that, all right, we got better soldiers, better weapons, better artillery. We can take them out easily. And it's like, you see this and it's just like, all right, the battle's already lost. All right, boys, GG. <laughs> GG. Like, this is just like when Russia thought they could bully Japan around, and then Japan came in and kicked their ass. During the early 1900s? Yeah. Yep. Or even when the Soviet Union was like, we can invade Afghanistan, it'll be fine. And then Afghanistan was their Vietnam. <laughs> okay, so I probably should go into the numbers. So there's about 12,000 French soldiers, 13,000 to some estimates. And there's also 64,000 Viet Minh troops. The Viet Minh had a three-to-one advantage, and that's just natural because they're the home team. So here's the thing. Both sides benefited from powerful allies, and the Viet Minh got help from communist China in the form of artillery and military advisors, and the French got support from the United States in the form of supplies and paid up to 80% at one point of the war effort for France. Wow, it's uh, <laughs> we're just throwing money away at that point. <laughs> Seriously. and. One of the big players in U.S. foreign policy at the time is, is Jay Foster Dulles, John Dulles. Ugh. And so this is the idea of the containment theory. So, David, what is the containment theory for our listeners? All right. So basically, containment theory was 
the idea that guided most Cold War presidential administrations to some extent or another, up until Reagan, who just made it worse and just less humane. But anyway, fuck Reagan. Yeah, fuck Reagan. Containment theory was the idea that you needed to contain communism wherever it sprouted up or else it would just keep expanding. And so say, you know, China goes communist the way it did. You need to contain communist China and not let it spread its influence. A really unfortunate underpinning of this idea was the idea that communism anywhere was secretly a ploy of Moscow, which is kind of silly on its face because the United States is like a capitalist country, right? Let's say South Africa, you know, another capitalist country. Does that mean South Africa is just like controlled by the United States and has nothing else that it does? Or Japan or something, right? Another capitalist country right now. Also during the 80s, it was a country we had rivalry with. All of this is to say, just because countries share an economic system doesn't mean that like the more powerful one is controlling everything. The tragedy of all this is that the United States, and especially with the Dulles brothers, John Foster Dulles, who was, Cameron just said, the Secretary of State, also uh, Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA, their way of looking at it was if a independence or freedom movement had strong Marxist elements to it, then it had to be a secret Soviet ploy, and that's why it had to be contained. Yeah, and, and I think the closure of markets as well plays into this account too. If like a country's communist or socialist, they're going to want to nationalize their industries. And so we saw this as a war of expanding markets as well. And the French as cash areas. We didn't want the spirit of communism anywhere because we want the opportunity to access those markets in those areas, I think. For those of you listening at home, uh, in history, we like looking for patterns at times. Uh, if you're looking for patterns here, all you have to do is stop listening at plot of moscow and think about how that's applied today yep and like going off of that you know a, a lot of people today think that radical islam is just a thing that's like united but like for example al-qaeda and isis are enemies and so it, it goes into like the greater idea here which is to say that if two countries or movements or entities of any kind share some sort of common ideology whether it's an economic ideology a religious one a certain political one, whatever, that doesn't mean that they are completely interconnected. And, you know, during this time, Vietnam is getting supplies and support from the Soviet Union and China, but as a sort of way of using whatever resources they can leverage, which, again, they had already tried to turn to the United States and the United States brushed them away. Well, just because the U.S. brushes you away doesn't mean you don't want independence and liberation. And so they were left with the Soviet Union and China. But there were already tensions specifically between the Vietnamese and Soviet Union on one side and China on the other. But that could be an episode for another day. So to sum it all up, we supported the French because we didn't want communism spreading into Southeast Asia. So that gave us an impetus to support the French. Still seems like the sanest course of action would have been do nothing, let Vietnam win and then say, we support a new burgeoning self-determining government in Southeast Asia. You can find a mouthful of history wherever you listen to podcasts.